watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm bored. I love to play games, but there's no one to play against. My dear young man, this isn't a joyride, this is a scientific expedition. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And this episode, we will be doing our Season 3 Roundup, which of course means no little one-liner from Riley at the beginning. So, if you listened to our Season 2 Roundup, you already know how this works. If you didn't, then the way that we'll be doing this is that we'll be evaluating the season through the means of a number of awards. Then, and this is new from last time, we'll be answering a couple of questions that were posed to us via Facebook. And then finally, we'll take a look back at some of our quantitative measures, including scoring and a season wrap-up of our metrics. So with that, let's jump right in. We'll go through each award in reverse alphabetical order, which means that Riley will answer first, followed by Julie, then Don, and finally myself. So with that, we start with favorite story. So Riley. And the nominees are, you know, I was reviewing my notes from the season and I was going over it and it's hard for me to pinpoint it. I think it's because it just, it's, Got a good pacing. It's a classic sci-fi story. It's, as we know, my biases, it's not a historical piece. Looking back over everything, I really like The Savages. I think that was the best story. Anyone else agree with me on that, or am I just alone on this one? I don't think you're alone. Julie, you're up next. I did not go with The Savages, so I'm not your buddy. Sorry. <laughs> your buddy. Shots fired. <laughs> so I actually went for The War Machines. At the very end, I enjoyed the fact that they tried to do some updating. So, you know, the the intro was a nice touch, things like that. And I'll touch upon it later, but there was a few really good doctor moments and some really good camera moments. And also having him turn the war machines onto its maker is kind of a storyline that I like to see. I do have an honorable mention of Mission into the Unknown because the folks who did that did an excellent job for the remake. Yeah, I think we we all agree on that. Don. Because I enjoy just destroying the structure of these things, I am I am splitting my vote down the middle. And oddly enough, it was between the savages or the war machines. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed both of them and actually trying to pick a favorite, I just couldn't do it. Both of them had excellent direction, the stories were great, the acting was good. You can't go wrong with either one of them. So I, I chose to pick both of them. All right, that makes sense. And then for me, it's it's the War Machines. It feels like it's moving into a more modern style of storytelling. It was fast-paced. It was on contemporary Earth. There was just a huge amount to enjoy there. And I think if anyone goes back and listens to our commentary on that story, you will see exactly how much I enjoyed it. And it's it's probably up there with the Romans as one of my two favorites of the entire Hartnell run. I guess that means the War Machines is... 2.5 to the Savages, 1.5 votes. I'm not sure it really works that way. <laughs> and then least favorite story of the run, Riley. Okay, I promised myself I wouldn't do this. So, I mean, everyone knows my opinions about the gunfighters. So I'll Hang just... on, I need to prepare myself to be able to hold my shock. You may continue. Uh, so I'm not even going to talk about it. I'll just say that, you know, that's it. But so I'm, I, I don't, I'm not seeking out 
another episode or another serial to put down. But since that was an easy one and that's just kind of expected, I would also like to put a little criticism towards the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. But if I can get those words out of my mouth. While I do enjoy like a dark story, this one just seemed like dark and just... <sighs> just kind of stodgy and it just didn't really pull me in at all so so riley didn't like the historicals john thomas casey that was for you julie i will agree the massacre was pretty terrible if you go back and listen to that episode i spoke the most and it was about how i would rewrite that whole thing so yes the massacre all right done over to you, sir. It was totally the massacre. <laughs> I mean, while, while there are other episodes that I've been critical of, especially about decisions that were made during them, that was the episode I overall enjoyed the least. That's fair enough. I'm going to break from the pattern here, and I'm going to go with Galaxy 4, which for me, it held the cardinal sin for Doctor Who, and that's that I just found it boring. Even the massacre had its moments for me. Even the arc, which I called out as being blatantly racist, had some good points about it. Galaxy 4 for me was just dull. And for me, that's the worst thing Doctor Who can ever be. I think Galaxy 4, and I always say this a lot, would have been better if it was there. For me, it's not the worst story, but it might be the most forgettable. Yeah. I just remember MAGA and I remember the Rills and everything else just Don't kind of those chumblies. fades into the background. Chumblies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot they were even that story. It's just there's something forgettable about it. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, we've released 10 episodes of podcasts. Well, nine since then. So it was a fairly long time ago as well. But uh, as I said, for me, it was just dull. It, it was the only one I really, really struggled to sit through when I was watching it. I think we can take the next two items together, which are best moments and worst moment. We'll start with Riley. Best moment, I think I made it clear in that episode uh, how much I enjoyed it, is the Doctor basically telling off Jano and the Elders and the Savages just once their entire social structure becomes clear and what they've been doing and him just having like a righteous speech. That's that's one of the things that always gets me really like excited about Doctor Who when you have a really great monologue like that with just a righteous telling off has always been like just, I don't know, enthralling and inspirational. Um, worst moment, well, mostly from a script point of view, than anything else but i really disliked uh katarina's death in the daleks master plan in the airlock i thought that was kind of just bad everything it was like it was i mean i guess it was good to add some you know important i mean some like gravitas to the story but it just feels like it was a clumsy mess and they didn't really know what they wanted to do because they were just bouncing around everywhere and they didn't know what they wanted to do with this character they had tagged along from for the myth makers so that's my pick it's supposed to be vicky so there's that yeah so, Julie, best and worst moment. All right. Best moment, I briefly alluded to it earlier, was the Doctor sticking the war machines on Voton. Again, I love a time when the creatures kill the creator, like in the book Jurassic Park. So that's always a fun one for me. And also a very Doctor thing to do, which is why I really liked that serial. Worst moment was not utilizing the Abbott as either an actual true doppelganger moment where the doctor's playing against the Abbott 
or like actually being the doctor. They could have gone either way and it would have been fun, but they did neither of those. So that was very unfortunate. And then I have another one that's a combo moment. So it was like a best moment and a worst moment because basically the entire Feast of Stephen episode <laughs> it was fun, but was completely unnecessary. So a best combo. Fair enough. Julie declares war on Christmas. <laughs> No, the reason why it was <laughs> not good was because it didn't fit the story. There was no reason for it to be there. You you didn't think having like a bunch of crazy people and outrageous characters shouting on a film set uh, from like uh, ho old Hollywood times was a uh, good idea? <laughs> well, again, I enjoyed a lot of that. It was just that in the Daleks master plan, it didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's totally thrown in there. And lots of that episode, to be fair, does also just descend into shouting, which makes zero sense when we can't even see what's going on on screen. So without the visuals, that doesn't really work. And could I add a honorable mention as well? Speaking of incoherent shouting, the kitchen scene um, in The Celestial Toymaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's basically the same. Yep. Agreed. Don, over to you. Well, first of all, as someone who has been described as fun, but completely unnecessary, I'm kind of hurt. <laughs> Second of all, my best moment actually spans two different serials, both Mission to the Unknown and the Daleks Master Plan, which is any time the evil Christmas tree is on screen, that is automatically <laughs> the best Doctor Who has ever been or will be, because I just love that creature design. <laughs> my worst moment is a little different because it wasn't that it was poorly done. It's just I disagree with it which was when vicky left mm. yeah that was a rough one because she really held things together i think after ian and barbara left i, I realized we'd only really had three stories but she was a huge piece of continuity in terms of the storyline and i think after she left william hartnell started getting a bit more uppity he started feeling a bit more alone and i think it really did have a detrimental impact on on the show i think so i just really liked her as a character she had her own personality and just really brought something special to the show that we didn't really or haven't really seen again since makes sense and then from my perspective i'm somewhat aligned with julie in going for a moment from the war machines except for me it's that cliffhanger where the Doctor's just facing down that war machine. I, I know I said it in the very last episode uh, that we recorded, but for me, that is an iconic cliffhanger. And whew, yes, please. And worst moment, I'm going to join Don and say when Vicky left. I really think that was a huge blow to the show and just a huge disappointment. So that's that's my vote. Next up, we have Best Lead Actor, and so I'm going to give the nominations for this one. So the definition is anyone who was a series regular. So our nominations here are William Hartnell as The Doctor, Maureen O'Brien as Vicky, Peter Purvis as Stephen Taylor, Adrienne Hill as Katerina, Jackie Lane as Dodo Chaplet, or Chaplet, I should say. <laughs> Annika Wills as Polly Wright and Michael Craze as Ben Jackson. Uh, Riley, we'll start with you. Well, you know, whenever we uh, do this with a wrap-up, it's very hard to not select William Hartnell at this point, and I feel like we'll be having that problem all throughout our our course because we'll always want to pick the Dodger because they will have so much they can do on the show. And so I, I just kind of, just to make it more interesting, I try not to pick that at all. And this time I thought about it and I went with Maureen O'Brien as Vicky, and, and you guys have made a great segue into 
into this for me. I just was looking over the entire season and I was just looking back to those first few serials of the season and I was just like, God, I miss her so much, <laughs> you know? Like there's such a wonderful brightness and just great chemistry she had with William Hartnell that just really just kind of like, just, I don't know, it just made the show really, really click whenever there was any sort of like personalities and, and conversations between our characters outside of just driving the plot along. So I thought she was fantastic and I miss her. Yeah. All right, Julie. Unlike Riley, I have no qualms about choosing William Hartnell. In previous seasons, I have actually chosen companions and such. I believe last time I actually chose Maureen O'Brien, and then someone will probably go look and tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I will go with William Hartnell. He just, he seemed to have a lot more moments this time, and he just killed it almost every single serial. All right. Done. Over to you. Shockingly, I'm not going to pick Maureen O'Brien. She is my my special mention, and I think I picked her last time, but I don't remember because... You did. See, there you go. This time, I'm going with Peter Purvis because throughout so much of this series, he's had to be the chameleon. Filling in when William Hartnell wasn't there for whatever reason, playing a little bit of light comedy, they made him sing, and... (laughs) Every time he, even though his character wasn't, he did dance, even though his character wasn't always well defined as far as who he was, like they seem to forget he was a pilot from the future pretty quickly. He always brought his A game. So I'm, I'm going to give it to him for this season. All right. Which is a perfect segue because for much the same reason, I also picking Peter Purvis. Don, we're just on the same page today. We really are. Yeah. So from my perspective, there are times when he absolutely carried the show. He acted his socks off in the Daleks master plan. He was the one redeeming factor about the massacre for me. That entire ending scene where he goes off on one at the doctor was just a superb piece of acting and for me there's no one who's equal to him in this to your point Don he's versatile he's the chameleon and when he needs to carry the show he carries the show so it's Peter which brings us on to the next category is best supporting actor so that is anyone who wasn't nominated for best lead actor so Riley will as usual we'll start with you I forgot how much I enjoyed Gene Marsh as Sarah Kingdom and Dalek's Master Plan I you know, if you watch that story and you have no idea what's going what's going to happen and what's going to happen with companions, you get sucked in for a little bit and thinking that she's going to be the next companion and you can see it working and, and she does a great job. She does like really pulls you in. And so it makes the ending of her character's story and Dallas Master Plan that much more sorrowful and sad. But uh, I just thought she was great. She just immediately had a charisma to her that made me think about how many great Doctor Who stories could have come with that character traveling with the first Doctor. So I I'm selecting Jean Marsh. Awesome. Julie. All right. So I actually was thinking of two and then Riley made a good point. So that helps me narrow it down. I'm actually going to pick Anthony Jacobs for Doc Holliday. Ah. Because I just thought that he was fun and he had really good banter with all the other characters and even with the doctor, just some really great banter there. And just someone who doesn't have to do any action and just can just talk his way out of things is just a really fun thing that can happen. So I went that way. So before we move on to Don, random little fact about Anthony Jacobs. His son, Matthew Jacobs, actually wrote the script for the 1996 TV movie starring Paul McGann and visited his dad on set of The Gunfighters. I love it. Some little connections there. Thank you. 
Don, over to you. Okay, purely on the strength of his performance, despite what Riley said, it has to be Michael Goff. <clears throat> He's yeah. convincing even in scenes where he is literally talking to himself. <laughs> super impressive he's just that good but from the same story i want to give a special shout out to peter stevens who was super creepy and off-putting as cyril <laughs> as yeah. the kind of character <laughs> where yes he makes feels kind of icky but it was an excellent performance that just shows that it worked i couldn't agree more so my choice for this one is oh my gosh i've forgotten his name just as i'm thinking about it right on the tip of my tongue hold please because i have to now look this up i had it a second ago that's why you write this down. Maybe we should sneak in an ad for Squarespace or something here to fill the time, get some money rolling <laughs> in. <laughs> no, it's going to be a, a Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg. No, it's going to be Bloomberg. It's 100% going to be <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> So I'm I'm nominating Kevin Stoney as Marvik Chen. I mean, he shows up, he chews the scenery for basically 12 episodes out of the 13 that make up Mission to the Unknown and the Daleks Master Plan. The, the scripting's not always great, uh, particularly towards the end where the character starts losing it, but his performance is always there. I mean, he was putting his heart and soul into that, and what more could, I, could one ask for on that front? So Kevin Stoney it is for me. So Don and I have both nominated villains, which brings us into our next two categories best and worst villain and for this one i am going to read out the nominations because i realized this was a long season so there are a lot of options so for galaxy 4 we have marga and the dravins for mission to the unknown the daleks and their allies for the myth makers kind of tricky because no one's really a villain so i went with the two characters who were the biggest threat which in that scenario is odysseus and cassandra for the daleks master plan we have the daleks marvik chen and their allies for the massacre similar to the myth makers there's no out and out villain but we went with catherine de medici as the main choice there for the arc we have the monoids for the Celestial Toymaker, we had the titular Toymaker. For the Savages, we have the Elders. And for the War Machines, we have Votan. So, Riley, best and worst villain. I'm glad you named them all off because when I was looking over all this, I came to the realization there were a lot of really good villains this season. I, I think two stand out, but there were, it was an enjoyable bunch of antagonists. And it's funny because you and Don had already mentioned both of them. It's Mavic Chen and the Celestial Toilet Maker for me. I have to split it. And it's I, I, I couldn't make up my mind between either of them. It was just so close. And I like you said, the performances were enjoyable and very, very strong. They carry scenes by themselves for both of their serials. And they are they're just very interesting villains. You know, they're or they're wonderful to watch and just you just get enthralled by them. You know, I think that's more toward Mavic Chen. Celestial Toy Maker is you're enthralled by his acting and but he's got some good schemes. Mavic, on the other hand, he's not such his plans aren't really that strong. Uh, worst villain, I'd have to go with, I think everyone's going to agree with me on this one, I hope. It's the worst 50s sounding band ever, Maga and the Dravins. There was potential there, but it's just, it. I think it's how they had the character act almost robotically and so stiff. It was just hard to, I don't know, take it so seriously. I, I can't put my finger on it, but it just, not the best there. So those are my picks for best and worst. All right. And before we move on, I realized there's the couple I actually forgot to mention and that would be the villains of the gunfighters so i'm going to name the clantons for that one and not johnny ringo 
<laughs> oh, and Johnny Ringo, of yeah. course. And an honorable mention to, and Don has mentioned it earlier, the ambassadors, the Dalek allies and the Dog's Master Plan, they are just wonderful. They don't say too much, but they look great. All right, Julie. So what's hilarious is that Raleigh said we'd all agree and we don't. <gasps> so so if you drop the Dravins and it's just Maga, I really enjoyed her as a villain and was very sad when she died because I wanted to see her come back because she was batshit crazy. <laughs> And every once in a while, that's what I want is I just want the crazy person. For me, if it's done in such a way, it can work. Now, the story itself was not great, but I saw so much potential in her, especially as an actress as well. I just, I really enjoyed the villain. The story itself, trash, but <laughs> Mago was good. Worst villain, Catherine de' Medici. She mm. didn't do anything. She barely mm, spoke. Yeah. So that's it. Fair enough. So was Mago your best villain then? Yes. Okay. Cool. All right, Don, your picks for best and worst villain. Well, first of all, I was going to make a MAGA and the Draven sound like a band name joke, but Riley thoroughly covered <sighs> that ground already. Curses. <sighs> the privileges of going first. I was, I was trying to think of a villain that I wasn't covering anywhere else. And I think in this case, I went with Mavic Chen. Oddly enough, for the exact reasons that you didn't like him at the end, I liked it when he just went crazy and all of his plans were falling apart. And that, that amused me to no end <laughs> my worst villain isn't actually on the list but i don't care which was number one from the arc <laughs> because they were stupid <laughs> so one of the monoids he chose he chose villainy but man villainy just did not choose him <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is too true and completely fair. All right, so my pick for best villain is I'm gonna have to go with the toy maker. He's just, to Riley's point, he's superb. I get that some people are uncomfortable with his costume, but as Don said when picking best supporting actor, Michael Goff completely carries that story. And I really love the concept of this immortal being who's just always there, always kind of bored, always looking for a way to be entertained. I really like the concept of the character. So he's my pick for best villain. For worst villain, I'm actually going to pick the villain from my favorite story of the season, Votan. What? what? I mean, great concept, but the realization on screen, not so good. Man, that's what computers looked like back then. They took off a <laughs> I know, I know. But the voice, Doctor Who, it, it just didn't work You didn't for me. like their version of Siri. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse. He could have like printed out everything he had to say really slowly <laughs> on a dot matrix printer. And they have to pull the little tabs off the side of the printer page as it goes through the spokes. Yeah, a lot of lack of suspense there. But the war machines I liked, I mean, the, the general concept I thought was good. I just thought Votan wasn't that well realized. Anyway, I realized that I was going to get yelled at for that. <sighs> So our next category is Best Director. And our nominations, since people probably need reminding, we have Derek Martinez, who directed Galaxy 4 and Mission to the Unknown, Michael Leeston-Smith, who had The Myth Makers, Douglas Camfield, who did all 12 episodes of The Daleks Master Plan, Paddy Russell for The Massacre, Michael Emerson for The Ark, Bill Sellers for The Celestial Toymaker, Rex Tucker for The Gunfighters, Christopher Barry for The Savages, and Michael Ferguson for The War Machines. So we actually have the opposite of last season, where I think that we only had four directors across all the stories. Here we have a different director for almost 
every story. So, Riley, we will start with you. It is a little unfair because there are certain serials where their episodes are missing, so it's hard to give a fair assessment. So I don't feel like it's it's I just want to give that disclaimer out there in case there's anyone that's like upset about choices, like, oh, you're only picking that person because all of their episodes were intact. Well, it just makes it easier to make a judgment and it's just who knows? I'm sure there was, if I was able to have video of other serials completely, I might have changed my mind. But I'm going to go with Michael Emerson of the, for the arc. Uh, now, we know we all have our issues with the story, but if you look at the direction itself, the cinematography, the editing, and so on and so forth, I, I feel like, you know, we talked about this in the War Machines about the editing technique, but that technique also where there was the intercutting of scenes between two different places happening at the same time, outside of some sort of climactic moment, like a rush to sh shut off a bomb or something like that, some sort of ticking clock scenario. The art had that device going on throughout it, and it had these wonderful crane shots on a studio that just kind of like blew my mind away because it was just really made the what you would assume to be like a spaceship so tight and small just seemed so gigantic plus the opening of being where you think they're landed in like a planet but it's actually this huge biosphere and then also the burial shot the fx were pretty good there and, and that including what i said about the editing i thought the direction was great it really stuck out to me awesome julie best director at a tie and it's two michaels and it is michael ferguson and michael emerson for the war machines and the ark so yes riley it's kind of similar to what you were saying and i think both of them did some of those really great shots especially some of those close-ups the fact that michael ferguson was able to work with such clunky things as the war machines and and did what he could in tight spaces was was really good and then obviously with the arc with the crane shots and everything so i just really couldn't choose between the two so i went with both of them fair enough all right done this was a really tough category, but shockingly enough, I also went with Michael Imason. He did a really good job of convincing you that there was some scale to that place. It was actually quite large. And the way he was able to capture that sense of time passing, really good. It's sad that he never got to come back and do more. Yeah. I somewhat agree with that, but I am going to go with Douglas Camfield for this category. I realize we only have three of the 12 episodes, but the idea that anyone was crazy enough to do a story uh, of that size, <laughs> and from the three episodes that we have, he seems that, like he was pulling it off. You look at the various jungles and their atmospheric, their tents, you look at the way that he gives each delegate a different character in life through their visual appearance and through their motions and the way they speak. I think it's absolutely masterful. And it's probably a story that would be pretty high on my returns list. And that's mostly to see more of what he did with that story. So Douglas Camfield is my pick there. When you think about all the different set changes for Doc's master plan, that is like a production nightmare. Oh, yes. And I think he pulled it off. Right. Because we and we were talking about the scale of, of the arc, how Michael Emerson made the arc itself look large. <laughs> Douglas Campfield has to manage. I mean, just like he's got to be like bouncing all around a studio set, going from one place to another, having to like shoot over here. Then probably, sh I mean, oh, man, that just sounds that sounds like a nightmare for 12 episodes. Ugh. Yes, which I actually wanted to call out the next one separately because it's our first award that now has a special name. <laughs> and that is the Richard Martin Award for Worst Director. So the nominees are all exactly the same as those for Best Director. And Riley, we will start with you. <sighs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should... Uh... 
it all right it's cruel of me to make the selection that would be my knee-jerk selection for worst director oh my god just say the gunfighters is getting on with it no i know <laughs> so i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it because it's unfair because the sets are great costumes are good it's not badly directed i mean the fight scene at the end is not great so i i, I can't put up anybody i mean no one really sticks out to me on this and i can't do it to Rex Tucker. It's not his fault that there is a god-awful song in his in his serial. He does a great job everywhere else with it. He does a good job. So I, I'm sorry. I, I just can't give anybody up for this, especially like I could maybe try to pick someone who had an incomplete serial, but nothing really stands out. So uh, maybe, maybe Derek Martinez for Galaxy 4 for the, the few things that I saw, maybe, but the airlock scene was good. Ah, I can't make a decision. Would it sway you if I reminded you that it was Rex Tucker who made the decision to bring that song to the the front of that story rather than just as a little background piece all right yeah screw him he's got it <laughs> uh i thought that might sway you okay julie uh before Riley was able to very decidedly choose his, I'm kind of somewhat in agreement with him where it's really difficult to choose because so many are missing. I mean, I want to lean towards the massacre and part of that is just, I don't know, basically episode four of the massacre just descended into chaos, which maybe if it was on screen, it would be better. But honestly, like I just... There was nothing to follow. And even on screen, I don't know that it would have been really that well done. So just because of that, I, I choose that. But I hate to choose it because we don't have everything. That's all I got. So I'll, I'll record you as a, a no nomination. Yeah. Done. I, I abstain. Unless I can pick a producer, <laughs> I'm not going to throw any directors under the bus because everything that we saw, I may not have liked aspects of the story or the fact that it was lost, but I don't think any director needs to be thrown under that particular bus. And I actually agree. I mean, it is it is hard to tell with this season. We're going to have an even harder time next season where there's literally no story that is 100% complete. But what we have of everything, it seems like every single director put their heart and soul and did some interesting things. There is no one at the level of Richard <laughs> Martin for me. Um, oh, yeah, no. Uh... So I think this time round I will have to abstain and, and we'll really start coming back to this in future seasons. So that brings us into what I assume is probably Julie's favourite category, which would be best and worst uses of music. So Riley, we'll start with you again. Okay. Uh, hey, this is a, uh, the same composer has won best music and worst music for me. Tristan Carey uh, for Dalek's Master Plan. I actually uh, spent today listening to 54 minutes of music from Dalek's Master Plan on YouTube, and it's really great. It's creepy, it's spooky when it needs to be, and then suddenly there's that weird like influx of like ragtime piano for the Feast of Stephen. <laughs> it's it's really he does a great job, and then he did the song of the Gunfighters. That's worst music. Okay, on. <laughs> <laughs> keep it short and sweet oh uh, yeah no one wants to hear me talk about that anymore no we're done julie over to you all right well actually so this season was hard for me and partially that was because so much music was reused so really there wasn't really a ton to choose from and ironically i went with one that didn't actually have someone down for like a composer or anything i actually did go with the war machines because since they already were taking it into that more modern direction i really liked how they utilized 
at the time, modern music. There were some great flute pieces, which that was the only serial where I wrote down specific instrumentation, <laughs> which is why it made it in there. And also that intro. The music used in, that, in the intro for all those episodes was great. I will have an honorable mention for the Gunfighters because unlike Riley, I loved it. And that allowed me to sing on the podcast. And then uh, Worst Music... I think it might go to the Myth Makers, but that's really partially due to the quality of it because the quality was just really not good. So it was really hard to really see how good it was. So if they got better audio, I might change my opinion. Okay. Well, if it ever shows up, we'll reevaluate. Don. As much as I really want to say the gunfighters just to annoy Riley, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, Which is why I made it honorable mention. I'm really just completely in agreement with Julie. I really like the sound design, even before you get into the music of the way the war machines worked with all the very modem-like noises going on. That to me was very cool. I guess I'll agree with the Myth Makers. I, I don't recall anything that really bothered me this season. We didn't have any that I remember any really weird random jazz interludes that didn't seem to fit anywhere. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's her best use of music for me. It's probably The Savages, just because it was so different. All the strings and it wasn't like anything we'd really heard in Doctor Who before. And it worked so well. So much of that story was very jarring. And again, I, it's difficult to evaluate a lot of it based on the fact that it's missing. But the music was something that really, really stood out to me while I was watching that reconstruction. So I'm nominating The Savages. And then for worst use of music, music again it's it's hard because there wasn't anything really off i think i would have to go with the massacre where it was really just percussion there wasn't a lot of anything else and i think that story could have perhaps used some slightly more tense music i believe that everyone else selected made mention of the myth makers for worse music and when i was reviewing my notes I had actually had written in my notes how bad the music was in the Myth Makers, and I. But I have to agree with Julie. I think it might have something to do with just the poor audio quality on the on the recording. But maybe if there's ever a cleaner recording coming through, I'll I'd like to give it another shot. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Who knows what the future might hold? And if any of these missing stories ever do actually show up, we'll do a little throwback episode. Before we go to our metrics, I believe is next, could we maybe make a slight eulogy for the fact that this is the season where there are no more episode titles? We just have serial titles now for a while. Sure. I thought you were going to want us to vote on best episode title, episode one, episode two. Or... <laughs> I just wanted to bring mention to everyone, since it's going to be a long time before we hear episode titles again, that the, in my opinion, the most metal episode titles for this season were Priest of Death, The Nightmare Begins, and Bell of Doom. And the most humorous titles were Don't Shoot the Pianist, Small Prophet Quick Return, and The Dancing Floor. So moving on from our nominations, what we're going to do next is actually the new segment, which is the questions from Facebook. So again, we'll take the same order in responses. Our friend Nathan Laws asks, what mostly missing or totally missing serial from season three would you most like to see returned and why? Riley, we'll start with you. Uh, it's easy for me. I got to see the myth makers. I got to see it. The acting and the comedic characters, the hilarious dialogue and see Vicky again and her, to see her in on the show. It's got to be the myth makers for me without a doubt. Makes sense. Julie? I am going to go with the celestial toy maker because I think it is actually the one that would benefit most 
from having it there. And reasons for that being, one, we get to see Steven dance, and who doesn't need to see that in their lives? Two, that terrible episode when they're in the kitchen, I feel like if we could actually visually see that, it might be better, and it might not just be in chaos. And also, I'd love to see the clowns and the obstacle course. And so I just think that it benefits the most with seeing those visuals. I hate to say it and be negative, but there's a chance you might be disappointed by all accounts. It was the story that was made on a budget of one coat hanger and three apple cores. That doesn't matter. Things can be done low budget and still be good. All of Doctor Who, for example. Right. And also, it's, and also like the, the episodes, some of the episodes, especially at the beginning, are supposed to be kind of off putting and creepy. And you can do that for cheap. Very, very true. All right, Don. Okay. I kind of have two. And I want to say something different than the other two, which I would totally be happy if either of those came back. Most obviously, I think I would like to see the Daleks master plan restored just because, wow, that is so ambitious. And I would really like to see it in all of its glory. The other one is just an oddball pick out of curiosity more than anything, which is I kind of want to see Galaxy 4. I want to see if it's better when you can actually see everything going on. So what I will say on that was the last time I did a complete watch through that episode of Galaxy 4 that we actually have, we didn't have. Hmm. And I can tell you from experience, yes, seeing it does actually make it just a little bit better. Not much, but a little Not bit. saying Galaxy 4 is my favorite, just out of curiosity. <laughs> <one day. laughs> like a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go with The Savages. It's a story that we all really enjoyed. It's one that I think is somewhat underrated. When you look at fandom, no one really talks about it as a missing story they would like to see back. It was definitely the surprise of the season, I think, for all of us. So that's the one I would really, really like to see back. Ah, you ruined my point I was going to make. I was hoping you would pick something else and I would just point to the savages as being that much more awesome because it was so good. It doesn't need to be completely restored and brought back. It stands out on its own, even if it's impartial. Hey, incomplete. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I, I've been rambling about it on Gallifrey Base lately as the one I'd like to see back. So I feel like I have to be uh, true to form <laughs> on that. Okay, and our next question comes from friend of the podcast, John Thomas Casey. And he wrote quite a long question that I'm going to summarize. So he alludes to the obvious chaos going on behind the scenes that kind of led to things not necessarily going maybe as well as they should have. So what elements do you think could have worked if they were in the right hands and the right circumstances? So examples that he gave were, could Katerina potentially have worked? Should Brett or Sarah have stayed on? Could Dodo have been okay if she wasn't written so stupidly? So Riley, we'll start with you as, as usual. We like to really criticize Dodo a lot. And I think there was potential with her character, I especially with what they were trying to go for. I feel like maybe if the producers told the writers to like, I know she just needed to get a better engagement with the doctor. It just feels like she was not even like a companion with the doctor. She was just this entity outside, a truly outside of him in these adventures. And most of the time, it just didn't, just didn't work. I feel like in better hands, I think she could have worked a lot better, a lot better. Okay. Julie. So I'll also choose one of the examples that he had, and I'll say that Sarah should have stayed. And reasons why I think that is... One, she's a strong female character, and up to 
a certain point, all of our female companions were awesome. Babs was fantastic. Vicky was great. I mean, Susan had her screaming moments, but she was stronger than some other companions that we've had. And Sarah would have fit right in with that. And she would have challenged Steven. And the problem that I had with Steven and Dodo is that Steven needs someone to play against. And Dodo is not that person. But I feel like if it had been Sarah, Stephen and Sarah would have played off of each other very well. I mean, they would have had some squabbling and some fights and things like that. But at least they would have pushed each other to be better. Whereas, you know, it was always just like helping Dodo. So I'm going to go with Sarah. Should have stayed on. That's fair. Don. I think continuing the trend of using the examples, I think Katarina could have totally worked as a companion. Many times the role of the companion is to be someone that the doctor can explain stuff to. And she's perfect for that. You also have the fact that you could have a character arc where she learns so much more about the universe. So I don't really think that where she came from is really that big of a hindrance. It, it actually could be a big benefit to having a character that actually goes somewhere and learns things. And you can really follow along on that character journey. I mean, many seasons later, wasn't Leela basically kind of in a similar situation, only even more primitive? Yeah, and we're, we're only actually a year away from getting Victoria, who is a Victorian companion who basically doesn't know anything and stands around saying, what's going on, Doctor? Yeah, she totally could have worked. Instead, they just chucked her out an airlock rather than actually try. So I'm going to go with something slightly different. and. I, and we, we've talked about this before, but I really wish they had the cojones to flush Vicky out of the airlock. Ooh. I think that would have been a massive statement. I think it would have had a huge, huge, huge emotional impact in comparison to Katarina, who we barely knew. And to take a companion that we all loved and to kill her off, I think would have been a huge statement of intent over how dark the show was going to get. And I know I complained about how dark the show was getting, so I'm being a little hypocritical here, but that's really something I wish they had seen through. Anthony going all George R. R. Martin on us here. <laughs> it's it's our Christopher Nolan's Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so those are the questions from Facebook. So next up is our final metric count. Over the course of this season, the ones that we started with, we started with the Vicky pet name. We had a carryover of two from season two. And we only counted one in Galaxy 4, which I think was her naming the Chumblies. So by the time of her departure, final season final count of one and a total series count of three, which is a little disappointing. The count count. Well, this got some serious traction this season. So season one had a camp count of seven. Season two had a camp count of 13. So we started out with a total series count of 20. Our season three count was 37.5. Wow. <laughs> 20 points alone of which came from DMP, or Dalek's master plan, I should say. I think we were mostly attributing that to Marvik Chen. <laughs> <laughs> so that was huge. The Celestial Toymaker was our runner-up there, getting a total of seven points, mostly for Cyril. So yeah, that gives us a total series count so far of 
57.5, over half of which came from this season. The I'll Explain Later count, still very much in its infancy. We had our first instance this season, and it's the only instance to date, so that is one so far. And same thing with Quarry Watch, just one. So that takes us to the end of our metrics. Finally, final season scores. So we'll do this again. I think we'll look at highest and lowest for each person. So Riley, Mm -hmm. do you want to hazard a guess at what was your highest and your lowest? Maybe it's because I cheated a little bit. I think I had the Savages as the highest at 8.5. Yes. And your lowest? I don't have to cheat to know that, and I won't (laughs) bother to say its name, but I think I gave it a 3 or a 2.5. You gave it a 2, which is... (laughs) <laughs> the lowest the lowest any of us have given to any story so far through the entirety of the show. So good job there. Can I go back to season one and change my uh, response to the sensorites? Because I will gladly do that. Point <laughs> yeah, five for me if we're going to refine. So Julie. Highest and lowest, what do you think it was? I'm real bad at that. So I'm thinking maybe Mission Into the Unknown and Galaxy 4. So you were tied for highest between the Savages and the War Machines. You gave eight points to each one. And your lowest was Galaxy 4 with four points. Done. Your turn to guess. I think my highest was probably the War Machines and my lowest, probably the Massacre or Galaxy 4. So you gave the Savages 8.5. And then just behind it for you were the War Machines and the Gunfighters with eight. Oh, yeah, which I did just to spite Riley. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And then you gave Galaxy 4 a three. (laughs) My highest was the War Machines, which I gave a nine, which was the highest anyone gave any story this season. So I now feel even more dumb for saying Votan was the worst villain. (laughs) So I'm going to slightly amend that to not saying Votan. I'm going to now backtrack and say the War Machines themselves, because they were kind of crap but Votan was awesome vote for Votan 2020 <laughs> you know it's one thing to change your mind later on as we finished out a season but within the same episode <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm the worst and then my worst story was Galaxy 4 with four points so when we averaged everything out our favorite story as a group was the savages which had a story average of 8.25 our least favorite was galaxy 4 which had a story average of 3.9 and it gave season 3 a total cumulative average of 6.51 which makes it our least favorite season so far losing to season 1 by 0.01 oh wow <laughs> If someone had rated one story 0.5 higher, this season would have beaten season one. <coughs> the Gunfighters. <coughs> mm. So you want this season to be higher than a Barbara and Ian season? Just saying. Fair. There we yeah, go. Yeah, but then if we're revising stuff, we have to go back and drop the scores on the sensorites all across the board. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're not doing that. No, no <laughs> score revisions at this point. <laughs> all right. So that just about wraps up our season three retrospective we will be back next time when we will be talking about the second dalek movie dalek's invasion earth 2150 ad in the meantime all of our previous episodes are still available on your favorite podcasting app you can interact with us on facebook instagram and twitter at watches 4d and as a reminder you can email us at watches 4d at gmail.com and if you're enjoying the show please do subscribe and please do leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting app 
All three of those things really do help the show. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, fun but completely unnecessary, was recorded on Wednesday the 26th of February 2020. And remember, when this was recorded, you couldn't go five minutes without a Michael Bloomberg commercial on US TV. Thank you.